0: You're live with Get Connected, Mike Agarbo in studio here today. We've got a lot to talk about on today's program. Up later, digital assistants. You're using one you might not even know it. They're coming in our phones, intelligent speakers. We're going to give you the lowdown on that, what to look for and uh, which ones might win the digital assistant war? So stay tuned for that. We'll also be talking about augmented reality. That whole area is heating up now as Apple and Google are going to war uh, against each other with uh, different types of standards. So we'll uh, give you the lowdown on that and what you can do with uh, augmented reality as well. If you don't like your reality now, (laughs) this is a a new way to look at things. And uh, we're gonna be chatting about uh, smart thermostats for your home, uh, Nest, ecobee and uh some others uh, as well so if you want to save some money on your uh heating and cooling costs definitely stay tuned for that segment right now i've uh got my guest co-host graham williams in studio how you doing graham doing quite well and you Awesome. Uh, Lots of tech news uh, this week. I'm going to geek out here. Uh, SanDisk has uh, released its largest micro SD card ever. So micro SD cards are those little tiny memory cards uh, that uh, cameras use, uh, and also especially a lot of Android phones uh, as well. This new one, uh, Graham, 400
1: gigabytes. So this is something that is the size of your pinky fingernail, and it's got 400 gigabytes of data on it, which I can only... You know, I can only say that this has to be witchcraft. That's that's what I've got for you. This is absolutely ridiculous that they managed to cram this much space into that small of a drive. It's amazing because, uh, you know, you look at a lot of, uh, you know,
0: laptop uh, computers, uh, um, you know, from the past few years. This is bigger than a lot of their hard drives.
1: Yeah, and I mean this is uh, this is one of those things where I think they've actually they may have they may have reached the physical limit of what they can do with this particular format size because essentially the uh, the cells kind of they taper off and they die as they they uh, they get larger than this so they've done the math on this and this is probably as big as we can go with microSD as it currently stands in a physical format. <laughs> we say that now, but next year, eight hundred gigabytes. Yeah, I was going to say five twelve has so, got to be. Around so what the does
0: that? Yeah, what does that mean? Four hundred gigabytes. Uh, that is thirty-five hours of. HD video. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you look at a lot of the smartphones on the market, uh, you know, you're typically looking at about 16 to 32 gigabytes of memory on a smartphone. And you're always hearing people complaining because they're out of room because of all the photos and videos they've taken.
1: So this is kind of the, the battle that we've got right now is do we mo- push for larger physical storage to so something that's you know on board with you or do we push for you know better internet connectivity, better LTE, larger data plans <clears throat> and so that we can actually put things in the cloud and have them sync. So a 32 gig- gigabyte phone doesn't really matter because you can always pull this stuff out of the cloud. I kind of like the convenience of the cloud, but I mean, we've obviously got some uh, issues there. I got a $600 cell phone bill last month, so there's one of those. You did? I did, yeah. What the hell? The yeah. hell? Well, I've got a couple of phones on the plan and then I also went 400 megabytes over and they charged me a hundred bucks for it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, they sent me a text message saying, Hey, we can give you another gigabyte for $15. And you didn't respond. Well, I thought I had responded. <laughs> clearly not. Uh, <laughs> clearly I did not. Yes. So that's a very expensive uh, episode of the blacklist on Netflix. Can, can, can I ask you something?
0: Mm-hmm. Why don't, instead of sending you text messages, would you like to buy some more data? Cause you're about to go over for cheap why don't you just give the people the data for cheap without going through all that
1: crap? Well, this is really the question because at this point, what's going to happen is I'm going to call my provider. I'm going to complain. It's going to cost them time on the other end. And I will eventually get my gigabyte for 15 bucks. Yeah, you're tenacious. So it's just, I mean, like at this point, I'm a teched off customer. It just seems like this is short-term gain, long-term pain for them.
0: <sighs> yeah. If you're
1: listening, just give us the data. like Please.
0: Please. Uh, drone delivery. We're hearing more and more about this. They're testing it. Amazon wants to get into this in uh, a big way. Uh, for me, it's still a lot of hurdles. Uh, I just can't imagine a drone dropping off a package in my yard. There's so many different things that could go wrong with that. But an interesting story I came across, uh, they're doing this in Iceland now. Uh, this one company or restaurant uh, is delivering beer and burgers by drone. I think that's brilliant. So what makes this different though, Graham, is that the final delivery point isn't your house. They actually drop it off to a delivery driver near your home who does the final leg of the journey. And so why this works is because I guess in this one part of Iceland, I think it's Reykjavik? Reykjavik. Can't even say that properly. Down near <laughs> So this restaurant, uh, to get to the other side of this river, uh, their delivery drivers have to drive for 25 minutes to 30 minutes to get there. So what they do now is they'll put the order on this drone as long as it's under six pounds and they'll fly it over the river to a driver who works over on that side and it cuts the time down more than a half.
1: That's that's brilliant. I love this.
0: So they get the deliveries there faster. They're obviously saving on gas, manpower, because uh, it can have less delivery drivers uh, essentially. And I think that's brilliant. And I think... You know, for me, that's probably how these drone deliveries are going to be most effective, being able to go as the crow flies over, you know, different geographic uh, areas
1: and have, a, you know, a delivery driver take it that last bit. Mountains, rivers, deserts, stand clear. We've got a drone on the way. I like that. Uh
0: a lot of uh, interesting uh, stuff coming through our uh, our studios for our television uh, show. I'm
1: uh, getting a chance to try out a lot of the different uh, Philips Hue light bulbs uh, lately. Have you tried them? I have, yeah. I think they're a, a pretty neat little product. The thing I love about Hue is the color changing. That's that's really, that's a big selling feature for me. It's it's interesting. Uh, I've kind of held off for a long time. I've got a
0: bunch of friends that have installed these lights. So Philips uh, has got smart light bulbs. It's uh, part of their Hue line, spelled H-U-E. And they're all Wi-Fi enabled and will work with your wireless connection in your home. And the advantage to it, just depending on what type of bulbs you get, uh, some are just kind of white bulbs and some are color bulbs. The color bulbs, you can basically change thousands of colors using a smartphone app.
1: Yeah, which is and the nice thing is it's actually HomeKit enabled now. And I think Google Home enabled. So you can have this one place where you can go in, set those colors that you like and have things match. You know, the decor, if you change the uh, the table settings on your table for a dinner uh, dinner party, you can have it match that. That's a, it's a really neat little feature.
0: Well, you know, what's kind of cool, though, too, about Philips and, and hopefully, you know, a lot of these uh, companies that are making connected devices for your home, make them compatible with all the different standards standards that are happening out there as far as the digital assistants, which we will be talking more about in the next segment. But, you know, there's Siri, there's Google, there's uh, Amazon Alexa. And the nice thing about the the Philips bulbs is that it works with all of them.
1: Yeah, there's no reason why you should be locked into one particular ecosystem. I mean, I've got a HomeKit system at home. I know a few friends who have Google Home. And so that is actually sort of the best solution there. I mean, the big one that we're waiting for here in Canada is Amazon Alexa, which you can get the device up here but if you try to say that you live in Canada it won't work. We I mean I set up an Alexa a little while back and of course I had to set it up as Blaine Washington uh which is great but the temperature there is not the temperature here. So come on Amazon make this happen.
0: Yeah, it's uh kind of uh, an interesting world we're living in. Uh the the Philips Hue bulbs that I've tried out so far are amazing. Uh I love being able to change the the color schemes uh with uh you know my iPhone app and they've got preset ones so like safari or sunset or iceberg <laughs> and it's cool because you can set all your bulbs in groups. So I can have the entire house on a certain setting. Like if I want a sunset setting, I can just click and bam, it happens. But even better with these, uh, these voice assistants now, like Google Home, I can just use my voice. Hey, uh, Google, turn the kitchen
1: lights on. Yeah, and I mean, we've got more of those coming this year. I'm I'm excited for Apple's HomePod. The one thing that I really do like about the Philips set, even with the white bulbs, is you can set the color temperature of that white light. So during the day, you can have it as quite bright white for working, and then a little bit more yellow in the evening, which is actually easier on your eyes and better for getting you to sleep at the end of the day. Pretty neat. Another exciting thing
0: uh, I've kind of following, uh, I'm a big Sonos guy. Sonos is a multi-room music system. They've got speakers. They've got little connect boxes that hook into your existing home stereo, which allow you to stream music through your entire home. So you can group all the music together, uh, or you can have different music playing in different rooms. Uh, they're going to get into the uh, the smart speaker category as well.
1: So the SEC actually showed that they have two new speaker models. We don't know what's in them. Apparently there's a, there's a thing coming up on October 4th that we're going to find out about them but uh, they've invited people to this. I'm a huge Sonos fanboy. I've got eight Sonos zones and a thousand square feet right now. So I am super excited. That's, that's a lot of Sonos for that
0: small of a space. When we come back from the break, more about digital assistance. Are you a Google, Apple, or Amazon fan? Do you have to choose? You'll find out. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected, Mike Agarbo here in studio. we still got lots of tech to talk today, including augmented reality. It's going to be a big thing in the coming years, and uh, we have uh, an expert on the line to talk about that. But right now, we want to talk about digital assistance. We've got Brian Jackson on the line from IT World Canada. Thanks for joining us, Brian.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, Mike.
0: I wanted to get you on the line because uh, digital assistants uh, are becoming more and more a part of our lives now. Uh, You know, we've got Siri, we have Cortana on the Windows platform, Uh, we have the Amazon Echo uh, and Google Assistant, uh, and there's lots more coming out as well. Uh, Explain to our listeners maybe just kind of what a digital assistant is overall.
2: Yeah, sure thing, Mike. Uh, I mean, it's a bit foreign to Canadians right now because so far we've only had the launch of the Google Home smart speaker. And I think that's really the first introduction that a lot of people have to this idea that we're going to be speaking to voice-activated smart assistants in the home. But you know what? We've met these things on our phone. If you have the Samsung Galaxy S8, for example, you now have access to Samsung's AI uh, Bixby, and then of course, if you have any Android device that has uh, a modern, recent-up version of Android on it, you can access Google Assistant. And Apple has Siri, and uh, you know we know we've heard about Alexa, most of us, which is Amazon's uh, digital assistant, and it's only available right now in the U.S., but a lot of Canadians I know and, and I do have uh, an echo device at home so they can talk to Alexa now anyway.
0: So, why should listeners be aware of this? Uh, I know there's a lot of early adopters out there that are getting into these smart speakers that have the assistant built in. Uh, you know, many of us actually do use it on our phones, whether we realize that or not. How big are these things going to be in the coming years?
2: Yeah, I think within five years, it's just sort of like we'll find ourselves talking to these digital assistants, whether you plan to or not. Right now, it's in that early adopter phase where you have to buy a piece of hardware or, you know, seek out the app on your phone and think about using it. But uh, we've seen oh, Amazon, for example, is putting Alexa in things like thermostats and even light switches, and then Microsoft, you know, with its Cortana digital assistant, is making partnerships with car makers. So you might buy a new car in a couple of years, and it just, hey, by the way, it comes with Cortana, so you can talk to that now to control your infotainment system and get your navigation and make phone calls and all of these features.
0: Should people be worried about uh, kind of locking down on one of them?
2: Well, that's the question, is that you know, as these digital assistants become more uh, consumer-friendly and get into the marketplace, you have to wonder, oh, should I be using one or the other? And, uh, you know, there might be advantages to using Alexa over Google Home or um, Cortana, and it's sort of just device-dependent. And I think that just like if you're, you know, people tend to be an Apple person or an Android person, You'll we'll just sort of discover the voice assistant that's easiest for you to access. And what's interesting is that just this week uh, we had uh, Amazon and Microsoft make a deal so that their digital assistants can be friends. If I can talk to Alexa, <laughs> I can now talk to Cortana from the same touch point. So how does that uh, how, does, we, how does that work? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a bit awkward. I mean, if, so say you have an Echo Dot right now. Uh, If you want to talk to Microsoft's Cortana, you'll have to say, hey, Alexa, can I talk to Cortana? Or talk to Cortana. And then you'll be able to ask it questions. So, you know, the reason that you do this is that there's certain functions that Cortana Cortana can do that Alexa cannot. So if you um, want to read your email from Outlook, you know, Cortana can get that for you, but Alexa cannot. On the other side... Alexa is great at uh, ordering you, uh, you know, things that you want to buy from Amazon's online store. So if you're on your Windows computer and you want to make an order with your voice from Amazon.com, you can ask to talk to Alexa.
0: That's interesting. This is kind of uh, bigger than people realize. Like, Amazon, one of the uh, e-commerce giants in the world, and Microsoft, obviously, you know, huge uh, as well. The fact that they're kind of partnered and talking to each other is is a big deal.
2: Absolutely. I mean, here we have some of the biggest tech uh, names in the world and a lot of big money, you know, with Amazon and, and Microsoft and Google and Apple all being extremely valuable con- Uh, companies on the stock market, and they're all uh, making it clear that they see a big future in this voice-first usage model, and it's all about the data, Mike. They think that if they can learn something about what uh, people want and what they're actually going to ask for, that's going to be incredibly valuable to them, and it just gets them a little bit closer to the consumer and allows them the opportunity to uh, sell you that widget a little bit easier or push an ad to a a little bit sooner than somebody else.
0: So, you know, there's some big players in the game here. We've talked about Google, Microsoft with their Cortana, uh, obviously Amazon uh, with their Echo speakers uh, and their Alexa voice assistant, which will be coming to Canada sometime soon. Uh, Apple has Siri. Uh, Are they late to the game with the whole, you know, uh, intelligent speaker uh, game?
2: From what I've seen so far, that's what I would say is that Apple is a little bit behind here in terms of how smart Siri is. It's interesting because I think Siri was the first digital assistant that we got used to talking to, and it came onto the iPhone pretty early, uh, you know, well, well before we were thinking about really talking to our Google Assistant. But... Now uh, we see Apple getting ready to launch its smart speaker around the Christmas season in the U.S. and early next year here in Canada. And their focus for their smart speaker is really on audio quality and music streaming. So that sort of shows to me that they're not feeling confident about their AI capabilities compared to what Amazon can do or to what Google can do.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, when the HomePod comes out, and you know what their overall direction is going to be uh, with that, because that is going to be an expensive speaker. Uh, you know, you're looking at the Amazon uh, Echo speakers; they've got a, a few different ones. Uh, the Google Home, you know, those speakers are all under two hundred dollars. This Apple one will be over four hundred dollars.
2: It's true. They're, it's it, it's just like Apple to go out and say, <laughs> "Well, you can get this elsewhere," but when you come to us to get it will charge you top dollar for it. But then they deliver that premium experience, and they're making a bet here that people will want a really great sound system when they're asking for their music uh, from a voice-first perspective. So uh, can they win the, some market share on that value proposition? Uh, I'm not sure.
0: Well, we'll wait and see. Uh, Brian Jackson from IT World Canada. Where can people find out more about uh, your stuff?
2: Great. Well, they should come to itworldcanada.com. And also, if you're one of these early adopters of Alexa, we have a flash briefing skill on on the market now. So look up hashtag trending. That's our podcast. And you can <laughs> add that to your Alexa device now.
0: Very cool. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Thanks a lot. When you come back from the break, augmented reality. What does it mean? Will you be using it? And what kind of uh, fun things are coming for the future? Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected, Mike Eggerbo in studio today. On the line, we've got our friend Rose Bahar from Mobile Syrup. Thanks for joining us, Rose.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
0: I wanted to get you on the show because uh, you've been following uh, the whole augmented reality uh, world or war, I should say. Uh, Why should people care about augmented reality right now? Maybe first starting off with what augmented reality is and how people can view it.
3: So augmented reality is when there are digital overlays on top of the real world. And you can see and use augmented reality uh, through headsets, but also through your mobile phone. So think about Pokemon Go. Now that was probably the most well-known instance of augmented reality or AR out there to date. But there's also Snapchat and how it has its little dancing hot dog that everybody knows. That too is augmented reality. So. People have more experience with it than they might think.
0: But it's, it's kind of really heating up now. Apple is uh, really getting into the game. They've got a developer's kit out. Uh, they've said that they want to make a big play on this uh, for their, uh, you know, their re- uh, latest release of iOS 11 coming up in the fall. Obviously, Google is involved in this as well. Why is this so important to these guys?
3: I think that they see AR as uh, one of the next steps in mobile, one of the big evolutions that we're seeing, Um, not only in terms of gaming and entertainment, which we've already seen with AR, but also for functional reasons, like being able to use an IKEA app, which uh, Apple recently showed off at one of its press briefings, to place furniture around the room. And as AR technology becomes more and more advanced, people will be able to use it for more seriously functional things and not just games or, um, you know, dancing hot dogs, as I've said, but (laughs) but for really, uh, you know, important places they could actually use this in their life.
0: Well, it's interesting. You talked about that IKEA uh, app that uh, Apple was demoing. I actually saw that uh, in real life, and it was freaking amazing. You know, we were in a big loft uh, studio. It was empty. Uh, basically, the camera, you know, through the iPhone, you could see the, the loft, and then you could just start, start taking furniture and basically placing it uh, on your screen in the loft, and then you could actually walk around, for example, a couch or a coffee table that you put there and see what it looks like in three dimensions.
3: Exactly. I mean, it's that kind of stuff that's very impressive. And that's what Apple is betting on. Um, It said that it's going to have the largest AR platform with hundreds of millions of iPhone users able to use it. And now Google is aiming for basically the same market, but with their own Android users. They have now just announced AR Core uh, to sort of compete with Apple's AR Kit. And much like AR Kit, uh, people who, even if they don't have special sensors on their smartphones, are going to be able to use this. Um, It's a software based solution to being able to let more and more people use AR on their phones. So uh, the AR wars, as you said, are are really starting to heat up because there's a lot of interest uh, from consumers and there's a lot of uh, hope in this sort of section of technology from both Apple and Google and and other major tech companies.
0: Will people have to uh, upgrade their phone to the latest phone to take advantage of the full features of these
3: well, actually, um, that's one of the things that you know, Apple and now Google have focused on in terms of making it available to a lot of people. Um, the, a lot of the older phones will be able to use um, ARKit and ARCore uh, apps. And so especially when it comes to Apple, um, they, for the past few versions of iPhone, there, I think up to the iPhone 6, people will be able to use um, ARKit and enjoy it so they're trying to spread as wide a web as possible for people to enjoy ar kit
0: are we looking at two different standards here now you know if google's working on their own apple's working on their own
3: we are kind of looking at a bit of a battle um i'm not sure that these two will collaborate But. It is in some way better for developers because they'll still be able to use their sort of base idea and code and then port it to these two different, function, uh, two different platforms and in the end get more users for their app. So uh, I think in the end it's, it's a win for developers and for consumers, uh, but there will be a bit of a battle between iOS and Android as there always is.
0: Rose, thanks for joining us today.
3: Thank you so much.
0: Well, that was Rose Bihar from Mobile Syrup, a fantastic website for all the, your mobile uh, news and reviews of uh, smartphones uh, out there. When we come back, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. I've got Graham Williams with me today. I want to talk about. Uh, Smart
1: thermostats, Graham. I know you have uh, a system in your house. You're using EcoBee. Well, actually, my parents are using EcoBee. They've got a five thousand square foot place in Ontario, and so they've got an EcoBee and a number of the wireless sensors. And it's actually it's a really cool little system. And so, what kind of homes would this be good for? So this is uh, EcoBee is good for uh, again regular sized and larger homes, town homes, anything that has a central heating or central cooling mechanism. So typically, if you can use a smart programmable thermostat, you can swap in an Ecobee or a Nest. And so what, what is this thing really doing? When we say smart, uh, explain to
0: the listeners what that that means.
1: So there are a couple of things here. Typically, there is going to be a processor inside the thermostat, and there's going to be a wireless connection to it. So that's either through Bluetooth or through Wi-Fi. And when you uh, load this app up, it generally will connect up to a cloud account, and it will, it will connect with your smartphone. So... Essentially what it's doing is it's allowing you to program a thermostat like you would with a programmable thermostat, but you can also do things like set presence. So, uh, you know, in the case of a Nest, uh, one of their models will detect when you're home or not and will be able to adjust uh, the temperature based on whether you're there. So saving you energy in the summer, you know, it'll turn the air conditioning off when you're not there in the winter, it'll turn the heating off when you're not there. Um, But they can also use things like geofencing. So if you're on your way home and you go past a certain boundary, uh, the GPS tells your home system that you're on the way home. And so it'll turn the heating on or turn the air conditioning on for you depending on the season. So essentially, it basically gives your thermostat a brain and some eyes and ears to kind of figure out where are you. And it does stuff that you would typically do um, on its own by making smart decisions. So Nest, uh, which is now owned by Google, they were kind of one of the... um
0: uh, I guess the first big guys out there that made this uh, a thing. Um, have you had a chance to, to look at those?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I've t- I looked at the nest when it originally came out. Now, Tony Fidel was one of the uh, guys over at Apple that originally launched the iPod and he started this nest business. And the idea here was everybody's paying, you know, 60 to hundred bucks for a programmable thermostat. And he said, we're going to charge, you know, upwards of $300 for this beautiful, intelligent, uh, beautifully designed piece. And so it was this stainless steel thing with a gorgeous uh, high contrast screen. And, you know, the whole body was a dial. The whole thing was a button. And it had this great interface that essentially, like I said, would learn when you were home and would learn your habits uh, so that it would go about making smart decisions for you. Now, everyone kind of laughed when this came out, kind of like the way they laughed when the iPod came out, uh, because they said no one's going to pay $300 for a thermostat. Well, sure enough, everybody wants a smarter thermostat that's going to, one, make their home more comfortable, and two, save them on energy costs. So we've seen this market explode uh, with the, you know products, again, like Nest and like Ecobee, which is actually a Canadian company. Very neat. Ecobee, you know, I, I um, I'm in the market for it right now myself and
0: in my home but uh, i've been looking at both Uh, the ecobee seems to have a few more features that make it a little more appealing
1: and this is actually why i picked it for my mom and dad's house Uh, you know they're great people but they really hate technology and so uh, the ecobee is kind of cool because not only does it have the main unit that goes on your wall where your thermostat goes but it has these wireless sensors that you can put around the house so they, they have, you know, a gas fireplace in their place and they also have gas heating around the home and they have their air conditioner and not all rooms heat and cool at the same rate. So they can actually use these additional sensors to get an average of the temperature across the house to ensure that you're not overheating or overcooling any one particular area. I found that to be a really cool feature and uh, really easy for them to use. Uh, the one thing that I like about the Ecobee is
0: the, the interface as well. The, the Nest is cool and if you're like a geek, you'll love it because it's round, it's bright, uh, it's a topic of conversation. The thing just stands out. It's got big orange numbers on it.
1: Yeah, and it's it's, it's one of those things that it, it's a conversation starter, really.
0: Well, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, Nest has announced a new version of their uh, thermostat. It's the Nest Thermostat E. Uh, this thing is actually nice. It's cheaper, number one. Uh, so instead of 250 US, going for 169 US, uh, but the look is cooler. So it's it's round still, looks like a puck uh but a white puck with a frosted display now
1: yeah it's it's a little thinner as well so it sits lower profile to the wall it looks a little bit more like a traditional thermostat and you know when the numbers disappear on the front of it which it does when it kind of goes to sleep uh it just it does look like a white puck stuck on your wall so it's, it's plastic instead of stainless steel but i think that actually goes with the aesthetic of i don't want to look at this i just want it to be there
0: yeah so it's got uh, a built-in motion sensor so if someone were to walk by it basically lights up and shows you the display, but when there's no motion uh, near it, uh, it's just kind of a nice frosted uh, look to it. So it's not like, like you know, blaring to the entire room and house that, hey, I'm a thermostat.
1: Yeah, and um, they have backed off a few of the features as well. So it has a preset scheduling feature. Um, it does still learn, but it doesn't start in that mode. So you basically got to do a little bit more legwork to teach it. So that's kind of the, the upgrade there is if you want something prettier, stainless steel and smarter right off the bat, you buy the original uh, Nest. If you want something a little bit less expensive, a little bit less obtrusive uh, and something that you have to teach, well, there's the, the Nest E. What other ones are out there that you've come across? Well, the big one that I love is Sinope. And so this is actually... How do you, the, how do you spell that? That's S-I-N-O-P-E. And there's actually an accent on the E, but you don't need that for the web. Um, it's a company out of Montreal. And uh, they do low-voltage programmable thermostats. So I live in a condo, and I have, I think, three or four uh, baseboard heaters. And so these things you can't control with a Nest or with an Ecobee. So CinaPay has come up with these smart thermostats that connect up with a web gateway, which you, you can buy them as a pack. And essentially now I have, one, programmability through the web, which is great. And two, I can actually do this anywhere in the world. So I can check on my, my temperature at home and start the uh, the baseboard heaters up you know, in the winter when I'm on my way home and uh, I want to actually, you know, get the, more, get the place warmed up before I get there. It's great. It actually saved me a ton of money on uh, on heating last year. So you're saying these work with electric baseboard heaters? They work with electric baseboard heaters, yeah, or any low voltage, uh, a line voltage heater, pardon me. But, you know, for any of these, is
0: it best to get a professional to come in and, and set them up for you?
1: Um, you know, I would say that if you are relatively diy <laughs> um, like if you know to turn the breaker off before you start working on something, yeah. uh, I think you can probably do this yourself. I did all of my own CinaPay stuff. Those things swapped out in probably about five minutes a pop. And then setting up the web interface was probably a 10 minute thing. Um, and so with a Nest, Nikobi, same thing. Uh, you know, they both come with templates that show you where to plug the wires in. And basically you can use your old thermostat to look as to where to plug the wires in. So if you kind of got a good head on your shoulders, you can do this. Um, if technology makes you cry, I'd hire a professional.
0: Yeah, uh, I think I might do that. I've I've looked at. Uh, you got to know where the wires are. And mm-hmm. What color the wires are? Mm-hmm. I'm colorblind. What What do I do?
1: <laughs> you give me a call. I'll come and do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks, Graham. Uh, when we come back from the break, it's that time. App of the week with Christina. I hope it's good this week. Stay tuned, and we'll find out. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo in studio here. A little bit of time left. We've got. Uh, Christine in studio with App of the Week. And it's going to be a great one, right?
4: Of course. Isn't it always? (laughs) Yeah. Mostly. mostly. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. (laughs) What do you got for us? Uh, I have an app called Leela Kids. And this is going to be great if you have children or grandchildren who are a bit younger. Um, So this actually curates podcasts that are kid-friendly, which is really cool, because when you're handing over your phone to keep kids entertained, you're probably feeling a little bit guilty about it. But if there are some podcasts that are educational in nature, you're going to feel a little less bad. So they curate all of this and put it into age ranges for you. And topics of interest include science, space, dinosaurs, the ocean, animals.
0: Interesting. I wonder if kids listen to a lot of podcasts. I know teenagers do,
4: but do the younger ones? I mean, I think it's a great way to keep the younger kids entertained and um, doing something other than watching things on an iPad or on TV, right?
0: Yeah, it's kind of cool. Uh, I love listening to podcasts now. Uh, I I didn't used to, but I've come across a few good ones myself. Malcolm Gladwell, a favorite author of mine, he's got uh, Revisionist History, which I absolutely love. Uh, the Freakonomics uh, authors—they've got uh, a podcast too. So uh, I think it's kind of cool if you got uh, you know a, a good app like that to, to get the kids started on uh, some you know good educational podcasts.
4: Yeah, and it starts from as low as age 3 and up to age 12. What's the app called again? It's called Leela Kids, L-E-E-L-A. Oh.
0: And does this cost money?
4: No, it's completely free on both Android and iOS.
0: Very cool. Yeah. Uh, switching gears, I know, Christina, you're a huge Star Wars fan.
4: Um, okay, No, let's sure go not. with that. <laughs> We're going to go back to Graham
0: here. Uh, Force Friday uh, just happened. I'm excited. Right? Right? Uh, You know what? I was in New York this week, and I got a chance to uh, check out some Star Wars drones.
1: Star Wars drones. See, you've taken two things that I love there, Star Wars, drones, and put them together. I'm curious. Tell me more. Uh, From a company called Propel,
0: and uh, these are like little drones. They kind of fit in the palm of your hand. They've got uh, the X-Wing fighter, the TIE Fighter, I think Darth Vader's TIE Fighter. And uh, what are those uh, speeder bikes uh, in Return of the Jedi? Literally called speeder bikes. Speeder bikes. Uh, so you can choose between those three. And the idea is that, yes, it's fun to just fly the drone around, but they are battle drones. So the the thing you want to do is uh, have a friend or a sibling have one as well because you can actually fly these around and shoot lasers at each other, trying to basically take each other out.
1: Okay, I'm, I'm clearly in a coma because this is just my childhood dreams come to life.
0: It, this... it is actually pretty cool. And they've done a great job. The technology behind them is amazing. They are uh, using three different types of uh, uh, wireless uh, signals, uh, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, uh, another one called Li-Fi. Uh, and the app is so great too, because you use the, um, the, the controller that is included, but, uh, also with the, uh, the iPhone or the Android phone, you stick it on top of the controller, uh, and it gives you all sorts of, uh, additional functionality. And you can also do training through the, the app itself. So before you even get that drone in the air, you can go through all sorts of different training on how to actually fly
1: this drone. And believe me, it helps. Well, that's pretty cool. So can you essentially, are you eyeballing your shots here or is there a camera on the front or what's the? No, that's interesting thing. So Disney doesn't
0: like having cameras on their toys. (laughs) Fair. Okay. Fair enough for privacy reasons. So yeah, you were eyeballing this and you got to hit the back of the vehicles as well. So it's not super easy, but you know, it, it,
1: uh, you know, with a little bit of practice, it's actually pretty cool. So the idea here is basically you turn off your targeting computer and reach out with the force. Very serious authentic. I like what you did there.
0: Anyway, uh, Star Wars Battle Drones from Propel. you got to check them out. They'll be available uh, this fall and holiday season and uh, a great uh, toy uh, and drone if uh, you're into Star Wars. That's all the time we have left. I want to thank Graham and Christina for uh, joining me on the show today. today. I'm Mike Egerbo logging off. We'll see you again next week.